My name is Carmen. I'm one of the staff members here. And as Pastor Sean just mentioned a little bit ago, we are continuing this Revolve series that we've been working through this summer, which is all about living a Christ-centered life. We've been working through the book of Colossians, and it's hard for me to believe that we're actually like in the home stretch of this series. We've already gone through chapters 1 and 2. Today we're going to start taking a look at a good chunk of chapter 3 in Colossians, and there's only four chapters in the book. So we're like heading towards the end of this, but it's been a really good series for me to dig into. Personally, I hope it has been for you as well. And today we're looking at Colossians chapter 3, like I said, and that's all about um, finding a focus, finding um, the ability to focus in on this new life that Christ has given us um, through his death, through his resurrection, this newness that comes, and being able to focus our sights, focus our lives on that new life that we have in him. Because I think the truth is that we generally see what we're looking for. Like if we're looking for something, that's what we find. And I think we all know the frustration of not being able to find the thing that we're looking for, right? That ever happened to you? I was thinking about that in the grocery store just a week or two ago. I have this peanut butter that I like to buy, this natural peanut butter, and it's been in the same packaging forever, And I went to the grocery store the other week, and I'm looking for my peanut butter. And it's always, you know, the peanut butter section, it's like right up here, top shelf, towards the right. That's where my peanut butter always is. And so I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I'm looking. I can't find my peanut butter. And I'm like, they've discontinued my peanut butter. I'm going to have to get a new brand of peanut butter, getting all distressed about this peanut butter thing. And then all of a sudden, I realized, oh, wait, that's my peanut butter right there. They just put a new package on it. Like, it's just new packaging, which is why I didn't recognize it. I'd probably stood there for like five minutes looking for this peanut butter, but I wasn't seeing what I was looking for because I was looking for the old thing when I should have been looking for the new thing. And I think about that, and I think sometimes life feels a little bit like that, doesn't it? We're looking and looking for something that seems like it's evading us, this thing that we know we want to put our hands on, and yet it feels like it's just a little bit out of reach. And sometimes I wonder if that's because we're looking for the wrong thing. We're focusing on the wrong thing. We're looking for the old when we should be looking for the new. And that's kind of what Paul is saying in this passage that we're going to be looking at today from Colossians 3. Paul is saying, stop looking for the old life because you've been given a brand new life. Stop trying to define your life by the things that it used to be. Stop living in those patterns and in those behaviors and define your life. Look for, focus on this new life that God has given to you. He says this in Colossians 3.1, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. You might even want to underline that in your outline this morning. Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. What Paul is saying in the context of this passage is pay attention to what you're looking for. Set your sights on the things that are new, the things that God wants to do in you. You're living a new life now. So stop looking for the old one. What you look for is what you're going to see. And that's why our focus matters. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. How do I find my focus? How do I focus on a life in such a way that I can see this new thing? that God wants to do in me instead of just repeating these patterns of the old thing and continuing to look for the old when God has something new. So the first thing we're going to look at is how do I find my focus? First of all, I look up. I look up. 
And I want to ask you a question, audience participation here. What is it that you spend most of your day focusing on? Like, literally, what do you spend most of your day looking at, putting your eyes on every day? Computer? Work? Work stuff? What else do you look at in the day? A swimming pool. Oh, I want your life. <laughs> I would really like to be you. <laughs> A swimming pool. <clears throat> okay, now you got me distracted. I'm thinking about laying by the pool. What else do you look at all day? Your windshield? You're on the road a lot? Yeah. Maybe your phone? Maybe the people around you? And so those things that we look at are the things that tend to consume our focus. What we spend the most time looking at are the things that kind of magnify, right? My kids would tell you this. They, if I would let them, would spend all day playing video games. And what happens with that video game? It becomes bigger and bigger and bigger to them, which is exactly why I don't let them play the video games all day. Because that thing that they focus on is the thing that gets magnified. What we focus on we magnify. We're not actually changing the actual size of it, but it appears to be bigger. We're making it bigger in our own mind because that's the thing that we focus on. And we tend to get consumed by the things that we focus on. The closer we pull them to ourselves, the more it consumes our vision. An illustration that I might use would be, like, if I take this piece of paper, and if I would ask one of you out there to hold this piece of paper up, I would see the piece of paper but I would see an awful lot around it, too. It would be one little speck on the landscape. But when I start focusing on this paper and pulling it closer and closer and closer to myself, what happens? It starts to obscure everything else that I can see. It becomes my main focus, the only thing that I can see. And the other things around it seem to diminish in importance. Has the size of the paper changed? No. But my focus on it, my perspective towards it, has changed. If you have kids, you know that this happens with the way that things magnify, especially if you've ever been around toddlers. Like they focus on something and they get so about it that the meltdown happens as soon as the thing that's the object of their focus gets taken away. I remember one time when my boys were little, they wanted string cheese. And so I got out two string cheeses and I put them on the counter. And my one son went and took a string cheese and my other son like lost it. I wanted that string cheese. That's the one I had my eyes on. I want, like, there's another string cheese right here. Same thing, same package. No, that wasn't going to be the same. I wanted that one. And so he had this big old, like, toddler meltdown, preschool meltdown, because his brother had the string cheese that he wanted. And I was like, oh, for Pete's sake. You know those moments as a parent when you're not really proud of, but you're like, oh, for Pete's sakes, just get over it, kid. This is ridiculous. And I think about that, and I realize, you know, I wish that that kind of fit was contained just to toddlerhood. But the truth is, I think sometimes we do those little fits as adults as well. Sometimes we're pretty good at getting really consumed by some things that are kind of silly and kind of petty, things that we wanted and then we don't get, and so then all we can think of is that thing I wanted this new house. I wanted this new car. I wanted this new phone. I wanted this thing. And so we start to get consumed by those things. Or maybe we get consumed by other petty little things like an argument you had with someone. And you keep making it bigger and bigger and bigger in your own mind because you keep replaying it and replaying it and replaying it. And before you know it, it's starting to consume 
or something ridiculous like there was an inconvenience in a store and you keep going back to how that ruined my whole day because of that whole thing and it gets bigger and bigger the more that we focus on it. Sometimes we get our panties in a bunch, honestly, about things that just don't really matter. Sorry, am I allowed to use that phrase? Well, I just did. No, sorry. I didn't mean to offend. Oh, yes. Okay, let's start the debate. Let's, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Sometimes we get ourselves worked up. Is that better? Worked up over things that really shouldn't be consuming so much of our perspective. And I know that sometimes I'm challenged to step back when I feel myself doing that. And I actually put a number on it on a scale of 1 to 10. Like, okay, step back, get a perspective on a scale of 1 to 10. How big is this, really? Like, should this be a 10 to you right now? Because that's how you're acting. No, this isn't a 10. Most of the time I look at those things, I'm like, yeah, really, this is a 2. I shouldn't be letting this consume me so much. We do this. But then the other reality is that sometimes the things that we focus on, things that want to consume us, aren't things that are petty and silly. Sometimes they're legitimately big things. Sometimes they're things that do and to a certain extent should demand our attention. So how do we keep those things, those legitimate things, from consuming us? Because it shouldn't consume us. Even if it needs our attention, it shouldn't consume. So how do we do that? And I think what Paul would say if he were here today would be, look up. Don't let it consume you by looking up. He says in Colossians 3, 2 to 4, let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things down here on earth. For you died when Christ died. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your real life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. Now, I love this verse. Let's look at it, just a couple little pieces of this. First of all, he's saying, let heaven fill your thoughts. Just that phrase in and of itself you could sit and ruminate on. Let heaven fill your thoughts. And the beauty and the the invitation that that is to think about heaven filling your thoughts. And I like that he doesn't say that you don't pay any attention to things that are here on earth. He says, don't think only about things down here on earth. So he's not saying don't pay any attention, don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good, but don't think only of the things here on earth. Get your head up. Look at the bigger picture. Look at what's beyond the page that wants to come right in front of you. There is so much more to life than just this this one thing. So much more to life than these temporary struggles. And then when you keep reading, he says, my real life is hidden with Christ in God. Hidden with Christ in God. Again, you might want to underline that or circle that if that's something that works for you to help you remember things. But my real life is hidden with Christ in God. And there is something so profoundly beautiful to me about that whole idea of being hidden in Christ with God. And I've been exploring something really rich in my own life lately about what that means for me to be in Christ hidden in Christ, and for Christ to be in me. And this dynamic that happens between the two of us, when we are in that kind of relationship together, when God and I are in that kind of, I am in him and he is in me, and this different dynamic that it creates in me, when it is us 
instead of just me. You know, I've often um, tended to view myself as just that, as my self. Something separate and distinctly different from God. And God is, I'm myself and God is God. And we are very clearly differentiated from one another. And part of that is a good and healthy thing because I am not God. I will never be God. There's pieces of God that are so beyond me, so mysterious, so holy, so pure, that I will never be able to fully understand or comprehend him. So there's a piece of that that is healthy, that, I, that I'm understanding the difference between God and myself. But I think my challenge was that I not only saw God in me as being differentiated, but I think I saw us as disconnected, as two completely separate entities. And what I'm starting to explore is that there, we aren't separate entities. There is something about us coming together. I'm starting to explore not just who I am when I walk alongside God or just who God is next to me, but I'm starting to explore who we are together and the different person, the new person I am when I am hidden in Christ and he is hidden in me. It changes something in the core of who I am. Jesus talks about this in John 17. He has a beautiful passage where he's talking to to the Father before he goes to the cross. And he's talking about how, Father, let them be in us. He says, as you are in me and I am in you, so they will be in us. And when I read that recently again with fresh eyes, I was almost blown away by the beauty of the inclusiveness of that. Because you think of the Father and the Son were one. And Jesus is saying, as the Father is in me and I am in the Father, so they will be in us. That invitation for us to actually come not only into the presence of God, but into the the person of God is pretty amazing. That we're part of this relational dynamic that happens between the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and us. That is almost mind-boggling to think of being able to be drawn into, hidden in the presence of Christ, in the person of Christ. And when I learn how to think about us, it changes my focus. It changes the way that I see the world. I've had a hard time this week. This was a really good week for me to focus on this message because focus was difficult for me. It's been a hard week. Honestly, it's been a hard summer for me. Um, I'm in a grad school program right now, full-time grad class and classes, and this class that I'm in right now has just been really intensive, really demanding a lot of me. In addition to that, my kids are home for the summer, which I absolutely love, but that's a whole new dynamic of of kids being home full-time and really wanting to invest in them and spend time with them and feeling like, oh, but there's not enough time to invest in this grad class and get my work for daybreak done. And on top of that, I shared with you a few weeks ago that I'm wrestling with something really deeply emotional right now, like that kind of hits the very core of who I am in a lot of different ways, and so I've been wrestling with that. And then this week, I had a little physical thing come up that really hit me too. And I got a diagnosis that I wasn't expecting this week. I didn't see it coming. And it started to consume me. And I'm sitting there at the doctor's office this week 
And he's starting to explain to me the prognosis in terms of five-year survival rates. And I'm thinking, what is happening? What is, how? (laughs) What is going on? How can I be sitting here in the middle of this? And for the record, the prognosis is, is good for me. But still, the fact that we're having this conversation, I felt this whole thing just coming closer and closer and closer and closer and threatening to consume who I was, who I am. And so I got home, and I'm trying to, like, sort my head out from all of it. And I went up to our bedroom where I have created my own little space in our bedroom with an old chair that someone gave to me for free, and I drug up into the bedroom and created this little corner with my little rule-of-life candle. <laughs> Just made my little space, but it's, it's focus space for me. And so I sat up there in the chair this week, and I just cried out. It's like, God, I need to see another story in this. I need to see something bigger than what's happening right now because it feels like it's all caving in. And God came to me, and he reminded me that it was time to lift my chin And he wasn't asking me to do it. He lifted my chin for me. And essentially was saying, look up. This, all of this, it's not the whole of who you are. This temporary experience, it's just a piece of who you are. It's just a piece, a small fraction of a piece of what real life is. You were made for eternity. And yeah, it might be hard right now, but there is a picture that is bigger than what's unfolding here. You are not a human being living a spiritual experience. You are a spiritual being who is living a temporary human experience. Remember who you are. And remember who I am. And remember that at the end, there's hope, and there's joy, and there's peace. No matter what happens here, there is a bigger perspective. There is a bigger picture. Look up. And I felt the tension starting to fade. Does it mean it's gone? No. But I feel like it's now a piece on the landscape instead of consuming all of who I am. Look up. You want to find focus? Let God lift your chin and look up. I also want to encourage you today to look in. It's the next place that Paul kind of goes with this passage. We look up and then we look in. He continues by saying in Colossians 3, 5 to 8, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual sin, impurity, lust, and shameful desires. Don't be greedy for the good things of this life, for that is idolatry. God's terrible anger will come upon those who do such things. You used to do them when your life was still a part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. 
And I want to encourage you as we look at this passage to know that you never look in without first looking up. You never look in without first looking up. Because God knows that it is his power inside that transforms. You're not going to clean this all up on your own. You need to look up to get his perspective. It will take his power to change who we are inside. However, it does require something of our cooperation and our participation, and that means our cooperation is putting to death, as he uses here, putting to death the stuff that blocks our soul from a clear focus, from a clear perspective on life. And so he's saying put to death sexual immorality, put to death impurity, put to death lust and evil desires and greed and anger and rage and malicious behavior and slander and dirty language. Put to death those things. And this list is a hard list to look at, isn't it? And because it's a hard list to look at, we try to justify it away from ourselves. It feels like it hits a little too close, doesn't it? And it's easy for us to justify ourselves away from it. We read this list, and the first thing we want to do is what? Start comparing ourselves. We might resonate with a little of something that's in there, but when I look at this list, at least I didn't have an affair like so-and-so did. I don't look at these things like that person does. I don't click on those websites like another person does. I'm not as materialistic as those people. Look at all those things that they have. And we start doing this, this pointing our finger. We tend to look around to the lowest common denominator and compare ourselves to those people so that we can feel a little bit better about what's happening inside of us. Compared to everyone else, I'm doing okay, right? And honestly, we start getting a somewhat self-righteous perspective going on. And in my experience, every time I've encountered someone that's being a little self-righteous or any time I felt that self-righteousness bubbling up in me, it's generally because there's a secret. The self-righteousness usually is manifest because of some sort of secret. I know I am these things. And the best way that I can avoid dealing with those things is to deflect attention away from myself and to someone else. Start pointing my finger at someone who is a little worse than me to divert the attention away from my own junk and my own dirty little secrets. Our natural tendency is to want to hide. This all started in the Garden of Eden. If you look at the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, you know that Eve ate the fruit, then she gave it to Adam, and Adam ate the fruit, and then what did they do? They hid. And then God comes to them, and what does he say? Where are you? Which seems a little bit ridiculous to me because he's God. Like, did he not know where they were truly and really? His garden, he made it. People he made. Did he really not know where they were? I don't, I don't think so. I think he knew exactly where they were. But he was asking the question, where are you? Why? Because I don't think his desire was to grab them by the hair from their hiding place, drag them into the interrogation lights, and start grilling them. I think he asked the question because he wanted to give them a chance to step into the light. It was an invitation to step out of the shadows and into the light. Step into a place where you can take an honest look at what's really happening. And stepping out of the shadows isn't something that happens by accident, typically. 
It's something that usually requires a fair amount of intentionality. Our world moves way too fast and offers way too many distractions that we don't naturally fall into introspection and thinking, oh, what should I bring into the light today? It requires a certain level of intentionality. And I think that's why spiritual disciplines are so important, to make time, to make space in our lives, to be connecting with God in such a way that we can hear that invitation of God saying, where are you? What shadows do you need to step out of here right now? And for me, engaging in spiritual disciplines has just been such a a breath of fresh air, though hard sometimes, to engage in that practice of stepping out of the shadows. Disciplines like just silence and solitude, of letting it settle enough to even know what's happening inside of me. Disciplines like the practice of examine, to spend time intentionally on a regular basis just looking at what is going on in my heart, in my mind, in my soul, in my relationships. What is it that's happening in me? Spending time in prayer, getting it into the light, spending time in scripture, hearing God's word and hearing God's truth. And as I've done that, there's been a lot of junk that I've seen, to be honest. There just is. The more you look, the more junk that you tend to find. I see the stuff that's in the shadows, but you know the thing that's been encouraging to me in all of it? As much as I see the junk, I'm beginning to see the beauty, too. That it's not just junk that lives inside. There are pieces inside that have been redeemed and restored. There's pieces of that new person that God is making me that I can look at there as well and that I can celebrate. This isn't just an exercise in self-condemnation and self-judgment, but it's an exercise of bringing it into the light, God's invitation, responding to God's invitation to bring it into the light so that it can be healed, so that it can be something new, so that I can live out the person that Christ died to make me to be in the first place. And for so long, I only held the ugliness. And now I'm beginning to celebrate the beauty of that process as well. As Paul continues in Colossians 3, he says in verse 9, Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. In its place, you have clothed yourselves with a brand new nature that is continually being renewed as you learn more and more about Christ who created this new nature within you. Don't lie to each other. Don't lie to yourself about what's happening inside. Strip off the old stuff and then celebrate this newness, this clothing in the brand new nature that is continually being renewed by Christ. As we learn more and more about Christ, as we engage with him, we are being renewed more and more every day. And I think that's what Paul is laying all out here. He's saying there are sinful, earthly things that lurk within you. And yeah, they're kind of ugly. But you don't need to condemn yourself over those things. But it is time to get rid of them. It is time to stop looking at the old stuff and saying that's okay. Justifying it and being self-righteous about it. He's saying bring it into the light. This used to be your life. It is not your life anymore. It is time for something new. 
focus on who you were made to be. And look at all of that in the light of God's presence, in the light of God's truth. Not your own truth, not your own reality, not your own version of what's right and what's wrong, but look at it in the light of God's truth. Come out of the shadows into the light. There's a great um, verse in John, 1 John 1, 5 to 7, and he says, God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. When we are in the light of God's presence, there is not darkness there. So the closer we get to God, the less darkness that we have inside of ourselves. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not living in the truth. But if we are living in the light of God's presence, if we're coming out of the shadows, just as Christ is, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from every sin. That is an amazing promise. When we bring it into the light, the light of the presence of Christ will cleanse us from every sin. Make us new. Make us whole. Make us the person that we were created to be. Again, this is where the hope and the joy and the peace comes when we look up and then look in. And then finally, we look around. How do I find my focus? I look around. Paul continues in verse 12. Since God chose you to be the holy people whom he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And the most important piece of clothing you must wear is love. Love is what binds all of us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. You see, living a life that's focused means not only looking at God and myself, but looking around to others. Looking around to the people around me. And when we look up, we see that God chose us to be the holy people that he loves. Not just a holy person as an individual, but he called us to be his holy people collectively, communally as well. There is something about the nature of this family relationship that God has placed us in that is significant, that means something. we got to look around to the people around us as well if we want to maintain focus. Because at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's not like, here am I and here's the world. (laughs) This is how it works and I'm in the center. Now I am one piece of something bigger. You are one piece of something bigger, something meaningful, something significant. And we get to do this together. We get to lock arms together and do this thing, whatever it means to live out Christ in our lives. We get to do that together as part of God's holy people, collectively. Shifting the focus from ourselves to others helps us see that bigger picture. When we start looking around, we start seeing that bigger picture. It helps lift our chin a little bit because we see there's something beyond ourselves. It pulls that paper 
away from just looking at ourselves and doing the navel-gazing thing and pulls that piece of paper away so that we can see the bigger landscape. So I encourage you to look around and first of all, see who is breathing into your life. Where are you receiving from this body of Christ? And I have to say, that was significant to me this week. Especially as I had some hard news and people came around. The number of people who called to express concern, who offered to help in really practical ways, who just wanted to do this, that, or the next thing, people who brought me mango salsa just because I like it. (laughs) Thank you, Deb Williams. (laughs) It was a gift to be able to look around and realize this is bigger than me. I'm not in this by myself. And then I'm challenged to consider, okay, so how am I then looking around to give back to the people around me too? How am I breathing life into the people around me as well? And Paul gives us a great list in this passage of where we can start in being a part of, being a kind of person that breathes into the lives of other people. Since we are part of God's holy people, since we are part of his family, that comes with some responsibilities. And Paul here is defining them as clothing ourselves with certain characteristics like mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and love. So I want to look just for a a, a moment at what those attributes look like as we live them out together. First of all, mercy. What does mercy look like as we live that out together, as we're looking around together. And I think if I were to define mercy, I would say mercy really starts with turning to wonder at people. Instead of just presuming that we know where they're coming from and what their perspective is, starting with that piece of wonder. I wonder what is going on in their world. I wonder what has brought them to this place where they are right now, especially if they're being difficult. Instead of just turning to, well, you're a jerk, I wonder And when we start to wonder and we start to seek to understand, I think that pulls something of compassion out of us. Turn to wonder. Live out a life that's clothed in mercy. Kindness he talks about here too. And I think kindness maybe could be defined as just simply affirming the value and the dignity of the people around us, showing them that we value who they are as a person. And it goes beyond just mere politeness, but it goes to, it speaks to the very value of the people that we're interacting with, which is often hardest with the people that we're closest with, right? But kindness, living out not just politeness, not just doing one nice little deed, but really latching on to the value and the worth of the people around you and treating them with that kind of dignity and respect. Humility, he talks about here too, which is not just thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself a little less. And recognizing that I don't have the corner market on every right perspective, on every right idea, on every right way of thinking, that maybe there's something that can be learned from the people around me. Again, seeking to understand, seeking to listen, to see what I can learn in return, that's humility. Not presuming that I have all the answers because I've sat around and figured it all out, but in humility, submitting to one another to listen and to learn, not only about one another, but from one another. He talks about gentleness in here, too. 
which I would say maybe gentleness could be defined as, as strength under control. Being the kind of person that is strong, not in a domineering way, but the kind of strong that means I bring a non-anxious presence to the people around me. I'm not the one who's flipping out, who's being abrupt, who's being frantic, who's, who's being rude and obnoxious. But instead, I'm being the one who brings a healing presence to the people around me, being gentle with them. Patience. This one's a hard one for me sometimes. Patience. And what I'm starting to learn with patience for me, the trigger is I need to just let things be what they are. When I can just let things be what they are, I can be more patient with them. Instead of trying to control them, instead of trying to always change them, sometimes you push for change in certain circumstances, but often there's circumstances that I can't change. And there's people that I'm not going to change, nor should I try to change. That's not my job. And so instead of being all like and impatient with who they are or what's going on and how I can't change it, I'm realizing that the only control I really have is how I'm going to respond to this situation. And so patience means letting things be what they are and choosing to be who God is asking me to be in the middle of this situation, being patient until God works out whatever it is that God needs to work out in the midst of this. And then finally, he talks about love. The thing that pulls all of those qualities together. And I was trying to think of how do I define what love truly is, and I figured, you know what? Probably the the best way to define love is to let God define love. 1 Corinthians 13, I'm sure you've all heard this passage before, but this is how God defines love. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. (laughs) Love is not irritable, and it keeps no record of when it has been wronged. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. And love always endures through every circumstance. That's what love is. And Paul is saying these are the qualities that bind all of this together. As we look up, as we look in, as we look around, it's this piece of love that we will never have apart from God. True love, real love, it originates from God himself, and then it flows to us and then through us to the people around us. And so I guess at the end of the day, we come back to this thing that we've been talking about all summer long. It revolves around the person of Jesus Christ. Our focus, our person being made new, being human in community with one another, it all comes back to this focus, this life that revolves around the person of Jesus Christ. Paul says at the end of this passage that we're looking at today, he says, let the message about Christ 
in all its richness. Fill your lives. Read that again. Read that again. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Fill your lives. This is what it comes back to, my friends. The message of Christ in all its richness, in all its glory, in all its goodness, in all of the struggle that it causes, in all of the hope that it gives us, let that fill your lives. And teach and counsel each other with the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts because there's hope. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. At the end of the day, it's about Christ's life becoming our life and letting his life fill my life in all of its richness. Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to be filled with you. Help us to see a new picture. Help us to see a new perspective. Help us to see the person that you've created us to be. Oh God, we need focus. We need an eternal focus. And so as we look up, I ask that you fill us with your spirit. As we look in, I pray that you teach us how to respond to your invitation to step into the light, into your light. And as we look around, show us how to live lives that are clothed in your love. Focus us, Lord, as we put you at the center of our lives and have everything that we are revolve around you. We love you. Amen. I want to invite you to respond today to whatever God might be speaking to your heart. If you can pull that response card out of your program guide right now. I'd love for you to just spend a few moments considering what is God's invitation to you right now. Are you in a season right now where you just, you need to get your chin up. Life feels overwhelming. It's crushing in. You just need to look up. Put that on your response card today. And we would love to be able to pray for you in that so that you can get a new perspective of looking up. Maybe God is inviting you to look in. And maybe today you're for the first time sensing that as an invitation more than an interrogation. And I encourage you, pursue that. Look in. Step out of the shadows. Be intentional. Take time. And if that's something you want us to pray for you on, again, just write look in on your card today. Or maybe it's time for you to start looking around. You realize you've been pretty isolated, pretty much in your own world. And God's saying, it's time to look around. Look at the people who are breathing life into you. Notice who they are. Be thankful for those people. And then see how you're going to be the kind of person that, that gives back. What will it take to let the message of Christ fill you in all of its richness? So as we worship in this next song, I just encourage you to just ask God what his invitation is to you in finding a new focus this week.